0: Hi, this is Sheila Kegel with Communicate Influence. One of the most common pathways into PR and communications is via journalism. The curiosity of the journalist, as well as the news writing and interviewing skills, make them a good fit for many positions in communications. At the same time, journalism and communications are very different, and some journalists have a hard time adjusting to the very different world of PR. Nick Meir is a PR consultant based in London. He entered communications after working as a journalist with the BBC. In this episode, Nick talks about the transition into PR, current issues in communications, and key considerations a journalist should think about before moving into communications. Nick also discusses what he misses about journalism, what he enjoys in PR, and how being an excellent storyteller will give a journalist a head start when moving into PR. This episode of the Communicate Influence podcast is brought to you by Podmotion, a new podcast
1: production and promotion agency. Podmotion specializes in solving the two big problems podcasters face— not knowing where to begin when wanting to launch a new show, and struggling to find the time to continue with an established show. Go to podmotion.co for details. That's podmotio dot for details.
0: Hi Nick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to be here. Thanks so much. Now, we want to talk to you today because you're one of the many people who moved from uh, being a journalist, a reporter into communications and leadership coaching. Um, Many people have made that move. Some have succeeded. Some haven't. And lots of people still look uh, to move from journalism into communications. But before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at the moment.
1: I uh, sure. Yeah, my my background is uh, is is broadcast. Um, I I spent well, oh probably. The best part of a couple of decades uh, involved in broadcast, I, I started out in commercial radio, I was presenting breakfast shows for uh, what was then the GWR group before they went through their various amalgamations and mergers and uh, came out as heart uh Heart at the other, the other side of it. Um, I mm-hmm. then moved off to the BBC. I presented breakfast show there, and uh, I kind of worked my way through the BBC in all sorts of different guises, uh, ending up as a, an editor in Current Affairs. Uh, worked on lots of different program strands. Uh, worked on programs like Watchdog. Uh, all over the place. It's was, it was great. It was, uh, it was a great time. It's great fun. And then in uh, 2012, I decided that I'd kind of. Done what I wanted to do and uh, moved off into the corporate world and ended up in corporate communications. Ended up in an agency and then set my own consultancy up. And I've been doing that well, probably about past six years or so, I suppose. Um, I've been working with uh, with senior executives. I I do a lot of executive communication coaching. And uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, to to work all over the world, and it's been a fabulous six years well it's been fabulous lots of years actually I thoroughly enjoyed myself
0: well oh, that's great so you certainly don't regret the move no
1: no i don't um it's been a great way of um well to be honest telling stories in different ways. And I've had the opportunity to work with some fantastic people, some incredibly smart people uh, from all sorts of different businesses. I've, I've worked with engineers in the tech world, um, uh, I've worked, uh, I've worked all sorts of different sectors, energy, finance, and, uh, yeah, it's been really fascinating, but it's been very interesting to see that there are a lot of common truths in, uh, across the world, really, when you, when you're dealing with communication.
0: Mm. What do you want? What are some of those common truths, Nick? Story is king. That's it.
1: That, that, I mean, that, that, that's it. Um, and I, I think that it's simple, but it's often underrated. And when you scythe through the bushes that make up the jungle that is certainly the corporate world, the most successful businesses on this planet are by far and away the most effective and affective and successful storytellers. Uh, and mm. the, the businesses that struggle, the businesses that I think are struggling for relevance, and you look at some of the, uh, the older firms, which used to make up, say, the Fortune 500 and now are no longer near it and have been superseded by the likes of Google, Facebook, Amazon, and uh, all the tech, behemoths. I think if you actually really strip it down, it's the ability to tell stories that sets these businesses apart. And as long as you can tell effective stories, both to an internal and an external audience, then you are always going to drive business in your, uh, drive value in your business and in your brand and build brand equity.
0: Wow, that, that's great. So the story is enduring and it's universal. Now, just quickly, before you um, actually began in journalism, did you study journalism?
1: No, no. No, not at all. Uh, I, I I did a, I did a degree in drama <laughs> at a place called uh, Bretton Hall uh, which was then back then part of Leeds University, and my initial foray into communication. And this is the this is the thing people say you've done lots of different things because actually I, I left I was a uh, a theatre producer and administrator for a, for a little while uh, when I left college. Uh, I produced shows at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe for, for two or three years. Um, perhaps one of my most famous, uh, famous protégés uh, was a guy called Mark Gaitis and Steve Pemberton that went on to form the League of Gentlemen. Um, we were at college together and took a couple of shows up to uh, the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, so I worked with them. Then I was a teacher for a little while. Um, because obviously, as all young theatre producers do, I went bust, and um, <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up teaching for want of what can I do now? I've got no money in the bank, and so I I ended up teaching in uh, a secondary school in in Northampton in the UK for a, for a few years, uh, and then there was the opportunity came up having this that was teaching for about 3 or 4 years really enjoyed it um, and then somebody came to me and said do you want to earn 5 pounds an hour reading the travel news at this local radio station it was a bit more complicated than that but I said yes and because uh, radio had always been my first love I always love radio but and then when you take the totality of my career it's always been about audience engagement always uh, no. And it's, it's about no. how do you communicate with people that are either in front of you in a live situation or at the other side of a microphone if you're in radio or down uh, the other end of a, a television camera uh, or down the other end of a, an email as I've, I've helped some executives increase their open rights by doing more video. So, you know, whatever it is. It's all about communicating with an audience, and that communication is all about great storytelling.
0: Yeah, and of course, when you studied drama, you would have been immersed in stories.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a great three years. What I can remember, it. Uh, so I was a dra- It was a drama <laughs> degree, remember? And I got it was my it was the very typical dossier two two.
0: Okay. <laughs> no. Do you, um, your your first move, wasn't it, when you went from um, the BBC, you went into corporate communications. Now, when I've spoken to journalists who've left and gone into communications, one of the things that they do say they miss is kind of the buzz and excitement of the newsroom. So before we ask about the transition, what kind of things did you miss once you were started in your, your first comms job?
1: I think it's the ability to get your story where it needs to be with speed. Mm. um what journalists are very good at doing uh, the good ones they're especially the good ones with a great editorial instinct they're very good at spotting stories they're very good at spotting stories that are going to get audience engagement and generally speaking if you go to uh an editor uh, the bbc say and you're pitching a story and it is a good story an editor's going to go yeah let's go let's do it now if you're looking at say a newsroom situation, well, that's very much driven by the news of the day. If, it, if it's a great story, it still might get knocked off by another story, which is even better. So, you know, th- th- those stories are all about timing, those more short-form. But when you're looking at long-form, more current affairs-type journalism, likes of in the UK, say, uh, Panoramas, uh, uh, what was used to be a strand called Face the Facts on Radio 4 and File on 4, that those longer form, longer tale stories, if you come up with a great idea, the the editor's going to run with it and they're going to commission it probably there and then and you're going to be up and running with it. Mm. Now, you can, in the corporate world, you can spot a great story still from a million miles away. A good journalist can always do that. But then they pitch it and it goes into this ether. It disappears into this corporate wonderland where people who aren't journalists Will then decide whether or not your story is good, which is a little bit odd, mm. and I think that can be very discombobulating and very frustrating for a journalist. Um, and and also, you know, you will find people that and, and some great smart marketing executives and communications people that do spot a good story and they can see how that's going to work within their business. And then it takes forever to to bring it to life. Mm. Just because of the multiple, the nature of the multiple stakeholder environment, um, I—it's a true story. When I was in agency, uh, we were doing some work for um, for a big farmer, and we were working on a particular project, and we were producing six six stories, six great stories. They took a year. It took a year to get them from conception to completion mm. because of all the the hoops you've got to jump through. I guess there may be, well, some people living, that that work in pharma communications going, actually, a year's pretty good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that's one of, that is a huge frustration. Um, yeah. And especially when you can see what other people cannot. And that's not, that's not born out of any arrogance. Journalists are great often at spotting great stories and seeing things. And I think... The the better companies, the ones that have story in their DNA, they tend to accept and run with those stories with greater velocity and agility than a lot of the more traditional blue-chip uh, corporate players.
0: Mm. I think some people are, are becoming more receptive uh, in the C-suite to kind of understanding the importance of that, but we've probably still got a long way to go, I would think.
1: Well, you're talking about the different generations I think if you look at the c-suite of uh, of the younger tech firms, just to use a, just just ones I can think of examples at the moment um, they they tend to have a different worldview and they're looking at uh, looking at things through a different context. and these guys are firmly engaged with their audience and this is this is the I think the big difference between journalism and corporate communications a lot of corporate communication especially old school and this doesn't necessarily hold for all firms but a lot of it is based around satisfying the needs of an internal audience mm. or their internal stakeholder audience all their shareholders and it's not focused on the end consumer if you look at what happened uh, during the uh, the banking crisis and uh, especially in retail uh, I, I was doing some work in the retail sector, the banking retail sector, uh, when I was on a sabbatical for a little while in the wake of the financial crisis. And wh- what happened there was banks discovered they got customers. Mm-hmm. They actually woke up to this strange notion that there is actually a real customer out there. And one of the things that the public never saw, because I can remember the scenes in the UK when you had queues round the corner with Northern Rock when everybody wanted to take the money out, sure, there was a run on the bank there. But we had online banking then. What we didn't see is people were pulling their money out and transferring it all over the place. And this is because of a failure to communicate with the end user. Mm. And it wasn't long after that that you started seeing far more consumer-friendly conversations starting to happen with, with banks. But it took such a long time because the banking world especially was this hermetically sealed vacuum of communication which became impenetrable to the consumer. yeah now there's a there's a, there's a phrase that I often use uh, I, I use this sort of fictitious uh, Ted as a, as a CEO and I've worked in the inside of a lot of uh, large organizations where they've got a, a CEO that I call Ted mm-hmm. and when you go into meetings, Uh, About how shall we communicate? And this this large Uber figure, this large corporate CEO called Ted, what Ted thinks is the most important thing. So if Ted likes the communication, it'll it'll run. Mm -hmm. Goes nowhere near uh, customer facing. Focus groups, for example, to test messages. There's Mm. not enough testing that's going on in some organisations. I know that things have moved on, but I'm just going off uh, my experience because I've worked with some fairly uh, heavy-duty corporate firms, and sometimes it is a bit of a challenge to uh, to get that message through.
0: I think that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that because I mean the other thing that comes into play is is just the the natural. Uh, deference that people feel you know that this person is uh, you know one of one of the people that i've interviewed regularly um bob picard points out that they're the kind of one percenters very few people make it into that world of being the ceo of a big organization so there's natural deference there and if they say something or want something they, they expect it to be done it's all it's all driven from the top yeah If if ted says then that's going to be it and many people internally find it hard to, to challenge, uh, you know, what the CEO wants and what he says. And that or she as well. Of course, she. I didn't say that. I'm glad I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I, the,
1: you know, I, I I I need to say I, I need to say I, I need to have a Dorothy now, don't I? What, Dor- what mm. Dorothy says, what Dot says, and what Ted says. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, interestingly, yeah. interestingly, the the female senior leadership is far more i think inclusive of the senior female leaders that i've seen that this does not often apply uh, i can think of one just off the top of my head who is excellent and gets continually great 360 feedback from uh, her peers both her peers and her direct reports because mm-hmm. she is so open and she is open to all sorts of different thinking and different ideas and take seriously research and data and i think some of the the more traditional ceos ceo shall we say Mm -hmm. you know they're the ones that are starting to struggle a little bit they're starting to struggle on on performance and uh, a lot of the big businesses you know they're making they're, they're making their number by doing stuff with shares and Equity investors and buybacks. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going on to drive value that actually isn't to do with increasing the amount of value that's been built in the consumer world and audience engagement. And I think it's it's going to be, you know, this kind of direct consumer world is going to be the next big thing.
0: (laughs) Mm. We've kind of veered off, haven't we, into the work that you do? No, that's all connected. It's all connected, I think. Yeah. But just going back, it is connected. You're you're right. And many people listening, many uh, journalists who are listening now and are thinking about going into communications, these are the issues and challenges uh, that they're going to be dealing with. So it is all connected, of course. But let's go back. When you first jumped into um, corporate communications, obviously the storytelling is the big important thing, a transferable skill that you took with you, what other skills that you, did you have from the newsroom that, that played well and the flip side of the coin, what things, what, what areas of weaknesses were there and you know, what did you have to learn quickly? It sounds like a job interview, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, <laughs> um, I'm trying to help our listeners.
1: <laughs> so, so, it's, it's a re- actually, it is a really great question. That um, so you've got the storytelling, which is which mm-hmm. you would think is a, is a given, but actually, when you move from it's not it's not enough. It, it absolutely isn't enough. You can be the greatest storyteller in the world, but unless you're able to influence people. Uh, unless you're able to get people on side, you're going to struggle in the corporate world. Um, th- the ability to influence people is less important in the newsroom because all your talking is done with a story. Um, somebody said to me very early in my career, stories are currency. And I made a career out of finding stories and then selling them to editors. There was a, there was a lot of what I did, certainly in the early years at the BBC, that involved trolling all over the BBC with great stories. And the ability to talk to people, uh, I I think certainly for longer form journalism and to a lesser extent, probably in the newsroom, an ability to get people to talk to you is really important. Mm. Uh, I, I know that that might sound quite trite, it might sound simplistic, but it is so very, very important. If you can take... Uh, so when you look at a story and how it lands, uh, I mean, I, I watched the uh, the documentary on uh, on Netflix recently, the McMillions story. Actually, it was on Sky. I watched it a couple of weeks. Oh, couple okay. of weeks no, ago, I don't know it. So the, the McMill- is it, this is a,
0: what's it called
1: again? Uh, McMillions. Um, it's it's all about uh, in the '90s the Monopoly game. There will be some of you, some of you listeners, will have will have heard uh, or seen this. Uh, but the, the McDonald's Monopoly game in the '90s there was a joke that that nobody could ever win it, and actually it was true because it was being clobbered mm-hmm. um, by some very cl- a very clever guy that was on the inside, and he was uh, handing out the park lanes and the, uh, the you know the, the winning tickets to uh, to, mm-hmm. to members of his family, and this was. This was all laid out in this documentary a few weeks ago. Now, I could, as a journalist, I could not believe the access that the documentary makers got. The strength of the story was in the number of people they got talking about it. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the key transferable skills of the best journalists in the business is the ability to influence people to say stuff, mm. to get information from one place to another. And I think that's an underrated skill, but it's a very, very important skill if you're going to go into the corporate world and get people on side. So, mm-hmm. if you if you want to look at the you know the, the Kildene's uh, <clears throat> pillars of influence and uh, read persuasion and those great books um, mm-hmm. it's, it's well worth, it's well worth it <laughs> because if you are going to make that jump from journalism, you're going to have to use all your skills of persuasion, uh, to, uh, to really get on, I think.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's important. If you can't strike up a, a connection with someone and have a degree of presence, and as you say, influence, it'll be very difficult to get your job done. And, uh, yeah, I
1: think I learned that very early in my career because I kind of went in with my well, it was a little bit of a bull in a china shop, to be honest, um, going in and saying, right, we're doing this story, we're doing this story. Whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, and I think that you, you alluded to it earlier. The, the pace of getting stories on air is a is, is completely different beast. Mm-hmm. You're trying to do the same thing, but the speed at which you can do stuff because... The system is set up to allow you to do that. Well, it just isn't in the corporate world. Uh, this is a true story. Um, there was a client in uh, the agency that I used to work in, and quite literally, it would take them a week to approve a tweet.
0: Oh, good goodness! That's true.
1: That's absolutely true. It would take, and they weren't yeah. even in the farmer industry. It was, it was a completely different sector. It wasn't Farmer, uh, I get that. that actually, a, a, a tweet in Farmer probably takes about three months. But yeah. <laughs> it took a week to approve a tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that particular organization, interestingly, is really struggling at the moment. And the value in mm. that business has been, tr- has been falling backwards for quite some time. And it is their inability to move fast enough in the world of communications that's causing that. Mm.
0: So, I mean, one of the points that you made earlier, the real, the real kind of focus on the consumer and connecting directly with them, I suppose you could say that the, the journalist's ability to work quickly and to want to get things done quickly is going to be a strength. Yeah. If um, you have to encourage the C-suite managers, you know, whomever. Um, that, that's a strength that they can play to. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, I, 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 but th- th- this, I think one of, the, one of the issues is quite often, let's take an example of video production. Um, I've produced probably thousands now of pieces of broadcast material and, and videos in the, in the corporate world. And one of the biggest challenges is everybody is an expert when it comes to video and video storytelling in particular, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they watch it. They watch telly. They watch stuff on YouTube, and everybody has an opinion. And moving things up and down the chain of command and up and down the approval chains can be a huge challenge if it's not managed correctly. So I've I've had situations where I've had a client after after there's a piece been produced that's beautifully crafted by a, a very very good editor. I mean this particular this particular piece that I'm thinking of, the editor was, uh, was an ex BBC guy. He was a classically trained film editor. He was special. The way he could move pictures around was absolutely beautiful, and does it with a. F- fine-tuned to... Uh, he will get the music right, gets, chooses that first, and then gets the pace of the pictures right. It's, every, beautiful. It's a work of art. Mm-hmm. Absolute work of art. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this beautifully produced Van Gogh of a video, of a corporate video, <laughs> as Van gogh as corporate videos can get, was sent upwards somewhere, and the only comment came back was, I think it could do with better music. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and it's... I like and and, and it came back with a list of suggested songs which would have been entirely unsuitable and and I think what happens and this happens with story I think a lot of people uh, have an opinion on Mm. what makes a good story and I'm sorry to be blunt but quite often in the deepest darkest recesses of the corporate communications office who sit sometimes, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously generalizing here and this is by no, no means true of of all organizations. There is, uh, Ted knows best attitude. Mm. And if you're going to buy experts and if you're going to take on experts, let the experts do what the experts do. And I think that that can sometimes be a huge frustration for, for journalists and it comes back to what i said about story spotting and being able to go well that's going to work but if uh, an account manager in a pr agency has thought something else then they're going to fight their corner to have their idea for the story you know and, and i think you can get you can get clashes mm. so it's important that this this whole thing about being able to positively influence people um and that takes time and that's not the journalist's sometimes don't have that patience and i know that i fall into that category so when you when you ask me what my biggest weakness is it's impatience i think
0: but you you've obviously had to work on that haven't you over the years yes yeah you're better at it yeah But I mean, talking about, well, the point that you made about people in communication saying that, you know, uh, uh, imaginary CEO, Ted knows best. I think that sometimes happens because these people have been there and they've been there too long. Yeah they need to go to a different place. It's like, I just can't be bothered to fight this corporate (laughs) culture anymore. And, you know, it gets the whole organization into trouble because as you've pointed out, something comes along, a crisis, a change in attitudes uh, externally. And all of a sudden the, you know, managers, CEO, they're calling in a consultant and they're wondering, you know, why their own team isn't on top of things. So, if you've got that dynamic in an organisation, I would encourage you to leave and be in a place where you can, you know, do what you want to do and make an impact.
1: Well, somebody famous said, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." Was it Warren Buffett yeah. or something like that? I can't, I can't remember, but uh, but it's it, it, very it, true. It, but it is absolutely true. And uh, I think one of the one of the more interesting pieces of advice that I've given to uh, executives down the years, uh, and certainly in the last three or four years, is do video stop sending emails, do video, send a video out, do a video. And they're afraid of it. A lot of them mm. are afraid of it. And that's not surprising because they don't do it every day. They write emails all the time, but they don't do video every day. It puts them out of their comfort zone. But what is the better way of connecting with your people than if they see your face? And I can give them chapter and verse, all the research on, on microexpressions and the impact of a face on a communication versus a bald email. Um there was uh, one executive I worked with he was sending emails out and he was getting whatever it was a 40-50% open rate in a large organization. We uh, started doing video, 80-90% open rates. Wow. I, huge. It's enormous. Um it's
0: impressive, and, yeah.
1: And the the, the interest the, the all sorts of reasons I've heard for not doing video. Uh but one of the one of the, <laughs> the craziest one is I don't I don't like how I look on video okay but
0: a lot of of people do feel that though don't they
1: well i've got news for you that's how you look every time you turn up to work that's what people (laughs) see i mean that's you Uh, I, 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 i don't know what people have done to you on video in the past i don't know if that maybe they've made you wear a Clown's hat and lit you terribly and shot you from below. But generally speaking, it's you that's on there. And if you don't like how you look and if you don't like how you sound, that is how you look and that is how you sound. And obviously, we we know that in radio, when people first do 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 radio and they hear their voice, it becomes a bit of a surprise that they sound like that because that's the way the ear works and the way the eyes work. You're not used to seeing yourself in that way. But you've got to get over that. And if you can get over that, the engagement rates become far, far higher in the organization. Mm -hmm. And you can start shifting the culture when people see you. Because in a global organization, if you're doing short updates, and by the way, if anybody's listening to this in a corporate communications team and thinking, yes, I'd love them to do more video, please, could you just make them 90 seconds long? I saw one recently, there was somebody who was doing a COVID update and it was like a seven or eight minute video from the CEO mm. that has gone out internally and it was just too long.
0: And yeah, he was yeah. talking
1: about all sorts of stuff that people don't care about. You know, I think that's the other thing. Executives have got to start punching in on what their people care about, what they're talking about. And that's an editorial thing. One of the first things that I learned when I started in broadcasting was why should they care? It's the hardest question to ask. It's the hardest question. And if you go to an organization, if you go to the top of an organization and talk to them about their internal messaging, and then you ask that question, why should they, why should they care about this? This initiative where you said that they're going to get X, Y, Z, and they're going to get this. But what if they don't care about that? Mm. And you get this look like you've just, I don't know, murdered somebody's grandmother. But you, 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 you've got to be able to ask the tough questions from an editorial perspective to be able to get where you need to get to. And a lot of organizations are not yet on an internal communication level ready to be able to ask that important question, why should they care about this internal communication? Because they don't, they don't want to hear the answer.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I can remember asking that question in an organization and in Edmonton. And the response that I got, it, it was kind of the way you describe, like the look. And I think the, the thought, the feeling behind it is, Um, you know, these people damn well better care because you know, if they don't, then they won't have a job. It was that kind of thing, yeah. And they don't kind of seem to understand the message about what's in it for me in terms of engagement.
1: They're going to, of
0: of course, you've got to care when you come to work. Everybody knows that, but not everybody feels it every day. And the leader's job is to instill that. And as you said, that answering that message. That question, why should you care, it, it, you know, gets you refocused on it and it will engage you. Otherwise, you're just not going to listen or pay attention.
1: And I think that there's going to be a lot of large organizations in for a very rude awakening in the next decade. Mm. Because the organizations that are going to embrace why should they care are going to be the ones that build value and survive. The ones that Mm -hmm. don't, I predict, won't. Uh, And that, that day is, is, you know, those days are not far away. Um, the, the next generation that that's coming up, the, the, the ones that really, really are just, you know, uh, working to live, they really are working to live. And if your values don't align and if they don't care enough about the, the, the moral compass of the business, they are going to leave and the best that those will be the best people mm-hmm. I can feel a sea change uh happening uh in in a lot of organizations and it's it's i just think that if they can start looking themselves in the mirror and answering that why do i care question uh in, in a little bit of more granular detail at the top they'll engage their people and it doesn't take an awful
0: lot mm, true very true Those are wise words. Now, just before we sign off, Nick, uh, can you give us uh, two, three, whatever, four tips on or pointers on what journalists need to do or think about or prepare for before they take that job in public relations or communications? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Okay. Um, I would say the first thing is just know why you are making the move first of all. Know why it is you are leaving journalism and moving into PR. And then secondly, understand that it is very different. You are moving into a completely different environment to the one which you're used to. And it's very important that you ask a lot of questions of the organization or the agency, whoever it is, to make sure that your values align with uh, the values of the organization that you are going to be working for, uh, and if it's an agency, check their clients out as well. Um, there are certain agencies I would go nowhere near because of their client rosters mm-hmm. um, and, and just because I, as a former consumer journalist, you know I, I, I held I was I would say quite highly principled. Um, and I would never do or say anything that would be deemed uh, slightly off off beam um, and I think I think the other thing is is really just going with with your eyes open and you're going to have to have a lot of flexibility you're going to have to have a lot of patience and you're going to have to learn to bring people with you uh, rather than pushing stories at people you going to have to work together with people to to develop a more creative approach in story delivery than probably what you've been used to and when i say creative i'm not talking about creative treatments i'm just talking about getting creative with uh how you put stuff together the nuts and bolts of the story because people are going to want a piece of the pie especially if it's a very successful potentially successful story
0: Mm. you're talking about winning people over and that takes time yeah
1: it does uh and so don't be in a hurry to do that step back look around sniff the air and i would say don't be afraid to after six months if it's not right move on somewhere else Mm. but if it works and there are there, there are lots and lots of success stories uh, and there's a can, and I know there's a couple of b b c people that I know have transitioned into agency and it's worked really, really well and that's fantastic, but there's obviously a lot of people that 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 haven't made it, and it hasn't been as um as fruitful a relationship as perhaps they'd hoped and I think if you can just reset your expectations about how fast things move, that's probably uh, that's probably my biggest piece of advice. It's just a very different world than the one you're used to.
0: That's great, Nick. Thanks so much. It's been brilliant talking to you. It's the it's been fun as well. Is there anything else you'd like to add before you go?
1: I d- I, d- I don't think so. No, no. Um, I mean, it's been it's been it's been absolutely fantastic uh, speaking to you. It's been it's been it's been great, Fran. And um, I, I I think that uh, communications and the world of communication. And how businesses communicate is in a period of transition, huge transition at the moment. And I think if we were, if we're going to be having this conversation in 10 years time, I think we'll be looking at a very, very different playing field.
0: Yeah, I think the one point I would add before we go is um, for everyone who's journalists moving into communications is get involved in. A professional association make connections and learn as much as you can
1: yeah absolutely absolutely dude i i, I would i would start doing a lot of personal development work as well <laughs> read some <Yeah>. self-help books <laughs>
0: <laughs> well nick i look forward to connecting with you very soon because i know that we're going to talk about leadership and their styles of communication so we'll look forward to that sure absolutely okay you take care thanks ever so much Jen. You're welcome.